Welcome to our Call to Care, the podcast. What's special about Tesco Mobile? Tesco Mobile is like a family. And it's a family that's growing and building. That's what's special. Well, at the moment, as I say, it's an emergency in China, without doubt. This is, I, I really think, Doctor, you want to treat this like you treat the flu, right? From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. I had a little cry in there. I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time. I'm a critical care nurse. I've just finished 48 hours of work. I just wanted to get some stuff in for the next 48 hours. The government says we're still not past the peak of the coronavirus outbreak. I just don't know how I'm supposed to stay healthy. We will win because our NHS is the beating heart of this country. It is the best of this country. It is unconquerable. Is powered by love. Just stop it, please. We're willing to help, regardless of your your background, your who you're with as a network provider, who you know how you've broken your phone. It, it's having that willingness to help, whatever your situation and however hard things may be. I think there's always someone that can come and help you out. It's the people that make this business. I think that's the USP of Tesco Mobile. You wouldn't get anywhere else. Your business has a soul. It has real people and genuine people who who care. What's special about Tesco Mobile is it allows me to be me. We're unique. And we're unique in the way that we care for human connection. It's a horrendous way to live and it will kill people. The average age of death of a rough sleeper is 47 years old. It's, um, yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Our guiding principle is that we don't give up. The reason we're doing this podcast as part of our call to care is to share the stories of human connection that we're closest to. And at this time in particular, to connect everyone in the business to some of the people behind the incredible number of ways in which Tesco Mobile is reaching out to connect, to care, and to help. Each week, we'll try and shed some light on a different story in a personal, human way. And right now, when we're all aware of how important it is to stay home, we thought we'd start the series with a story focused on a group of people who don't have a home. It's a story, by the way, that contains some adult topics and a bit of colourful language here and there. So just a heads up. But don't worry, we'll warn you when it's about to heat up and you can skip forward 60 seconds or so. Now, to help us share this story, let me introduce you to a few people. Uh, I'm I'm Liz. I um, I normally look after Clubcard for Tesco Mobile, but right now I am leading one of our uh, coronavirus response work streams, all about how we can help the broader society at the moment, um, and how we can continue to live our purpose as Tesco Mobile, as caring for human connection. And the one real key thing and our intent and objective of all of this is to help people who can't connect to connect. It was Liz in this instance who led the Tesco mobile response to a request for help by donating a number of phones and airtime. And you'll hear soon, by the way, 
just how powerful airtime is in this story. Some of you may be familiar with Liz already, and we'll hear again from her at the end of the podcast. But here's a couple of people you probably don't know yet. My name is Robert White. I'm the Lead Commissioner for Rough Sleeping Support Services at Westminster City Council, and I'm responsible for the strategy to end rough sleeping in Westminster. That's Robert, who coordinates a small army of organisations in London working with rough sleepers. And this is Kath. Our team works seven days a week um, out on the street. Kath leads a team at St Mungo's who work on the front line of cities across the country. That's early in the morning. On the streets. Every day. Like many of her colleagues, Kath's what you'd call committed to the cause. You'll hear more from her in a few minutes. But for now, let's get back to Robert. I was curious to ask him at the beginning of our conversation, what led him to be working in such an incredibly important and challenging job? Yeah, originally I, it was never an intention. It was just a temp job that I had working in a housing department where I grew up and just really um, uh, managed to get a job in the local authority around then. And as I say, I've been doing it then for five years. So I kind of fell into it, to be honest, but mm. I can't uh, imagine doing anything else. It, I, I don't know why I was wasting my time doing other things. This is This is for me. Robert's one of those people whose sense of purpose is as clear as his point of view. You know, we get to help people. Every 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 service that we commission is designed to support people away from rough sleeping. Rough sleeping isn't really a housing problem. It's not the fact that there aren't enough houses for people, although that is an issue of homelessness. Once people sleep on the streets, it's it's a huge complexity of health problems, from mental health to physical health to um, to substance misuse. And and so our services are designed from a sort of psychological expect, uh, perspective. How do we get people into um, services to uh, uh, repair some of the psychological damage that's happened to them. You won't find anybody who spends an extended period of the street who hasn't suffered some sort of childhood trauma. Um, and so it's working with them to try and unpick what that trauma was and hopefully uh, help them come to terms with it so that they can live an independent life. Um, housing is just one part of that. Sure. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about people who are homeless? Uh, there is a lot of assumption that people are on the streets because of their own doing and they're choosing to be there. And, you know, uh, the, uh, councils, local authorities, central government, they are guilty of, of, of suggesting that people are, uh, there's plenty of offers available for people, they're simply choosing not to do it. Well, there is some truth in that. Their offers are made to people and they say no to them. Uh, sometimes offers are made day in, day out for 20 years before somebody says yes to them. Mm. But I think it's important to be clear that we simply have to adapt our offer until it does suit that individual at a time that suits them. Whenever we speak to people that have been through that hardship of rough sleeping and come out the other side of it and, and have a semblance of, of independent living, there's common themes that they are uh, they are completely invisible on the street. Um, they have no self-worth, uh, no self-hope, um, and their their existence is hopeless. And, and they essentially live for that day. Um, there is no simple answer. There is no silver bullet to this issue because every single case has its unique situation and the solution for an individual is is unique from one person to the next, mm. which makes the job difficult, makes the job of our support services very challenging. Um, but 
if you approach rough sleeping through the health lens of psychology and understand that that, that decisions that people make and behaviours that people exhibit are almost exclusively down to their psychological makeup and their experiences through life, particularly through childhood, mm. then you can have a um, a different attitude to how to help people. A really good example is when I worked in a local um, homelessness project for um, men who had spent quite a long time on the streets, so their support needs and their behaviours were perhaps considered in the kind of higher support bracket, you know, quite quite intensively needing help. And um, I was talking to a gentleman who um, uh, was being quite pleasant with me in the reception and we were chatting away for a while, lots of discussion about all sorts of different aspects of life and things that he enjoyed and football and different stuff like that. Yeah. And then somebody walked through and offered him a piece of cake um, and he said, no, thank you. And the person that was offering it was a quite pushy with it said go on on, mate have a have a piece you sure you don't want a piece go on it's really good have a piece and he he lost it he grabbed the cake he threw it he smashed the reception to pieces and we didn't see him for about a week after that when we got a chance to return to him and, and after quite a long time of conversation he it it became apparent that 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 part of the abuse that he had suffered as a child uh one of the examples directly related to being forced to have uh, cake and and it was a direct attribute for him and and uh, the initial reaction to him smashing the place up is okay well then we've tried to help you then you, you can go on your own way then you're not allowed to stay here anymore you're too dangerous you're not allowed to stay here we're not going to help you we've tried but you failed uh, and you chose not to accept the help that was offered to you as soon as you dig beneath the surface and understand the psychology behind people's behaviour, then you can adapt what your support offer is. And we, of course, allowed him to stay in that project and we made sure that the staff and his support teams understood that that particular issue was a trigger for him um, and that that was to be worked on. Um, And so the reason he smashed up the place is it's not about removing culpability and and people need to, of course, be responsible for their own actions, but it's about understanding why behaviour behaviours are the way they are. People may be embroiled in drug addiction um, or an alcohol dependence. I can guarantee they're not choosing to be in that situation. They may be choosing to take that hit of crack that day, but they're not choosing that life for themselves. It is not a lifestyle choice uh, because it's a horrendous way to live and it will kill people. The average age of death of a rough sleeper is 47 years old. So you will die and you will die prematurely. Um, and so it's absolutely not a lifestyle choice. And that's the main misconception of, of the general public, I think. Yeah. And, and that thing that you've mentioned a couple of times now, that, that to understand it through the, the psychological frame, that, that sounds like it's really important to you. It sounds like you wish that other people could see things like that. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we work in... I, I work for Westminster Council, and so we work in the heart of London. We work alongside some of the poorest households in the country and considerably some of the wealthiest. Yeah. We work alongside small business, but we also work alongside huge multinational industry. And... There is, uh, you know, you, you would assume perhaps that the big multinationals don't have a heart and the small business, it's not always as linear as that. You know, yeah. often it's some of the bigger businesses that genuinely want to impact and, and see change. But I suppose the, 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 the bit that I wish people would understand a little bit more is that there is 
a huge uh, sector of people that genuinely care and genuinely want to help. There are, of course, differences amongst that about how the best way to do that. But at the heart of it are are individuals who are completely dedicated to making a difference in people's lives, but also a difference in in the strategy behind reducing this as an issue. There is absolutely no reason why we have rough sleeping in 2020 at all. There will always be people that fall out of accommodation and and end up on the street because they they weren't quite sure of what was available to them. But they should be met and and assessed and moved away from the street extremely quickly. There's no reason why people should have to live on the street. And I think it's important that um, people understand that it can be different. The amount of times I hear people say, well, you can't change it, can you? There's always going to be rough sleeping. I genuinely don't believe that. That doesn't have to be the case. So so why? Is it just because there's not enough resource? Is it that simple? As an employer of Westminster City Council, uh, I would say that lack of resource is certainly a factor. Um, as an individual, I'd say yeah, it's policy choice. You don't have to... Yeah. You can change policy to fix this. Uh, it's, it's not, it's, it won't be quick. And it won't, certainly won't be cheap. Um, but uh, it's... It could be different. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we could do a lot more. But, you know, the, there's huge challenges across different areas that, that impact rough sleeping. You know, once it, people trickle down to the bottom of rough and get onto the street, yeah. lots has failed. Mental health services have failed. Physical health services have failed. Social services have failed. Housing departments have failed. Um, drug agencies have failed. Uh, welfare support nets have failed. Family services have failed. Family networks have failed. Friends have failed. You know, there's a whole ream of things that have happened in people's lives before they end up in that position. And so in order to correct that, you have to fix so many different layers of things. So that's certainly not easy, but it is possible. What you need to create is safety for people, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And physical safety with four walls around you is a pretty good start. It's not everything because yeah. there are plenty of people who are surrounded by four walls right now feeling very unsafe, right? But it's the layers, it's the layers of safety that allow people to move on from whatever that trauma was. Physical safety is important, but emotional safety and security is, is, is equally as important. So yes, four walls are important to make people feel like they're in a safe environment, but the psychological support that is necessary is, is fundamental. There's a, and that's about relationships, that's about trusting the person that's offering your support because there's a huge mistrust of services they've been constantly let down at every turn since being a a child from parents to carers to teachers to everything in in between that why should they trust i mean there's a there's a really fascinating organization called mayday trust who we work very closely with who are changing the game a little bit in homelessness in terms of how we approach this supporting of people and and um part of their training day that they have quite an intensive training package for their coaches they turn them their support coaches Mm. um uh that uh, the first thing they ask them to do is is everybody has to write their favourite sexual position on a piece of paper, and they have to put that piece of paper in an in a um, to put that piece of paper in an envelope, uh, and the and the uh, the trainer says, "Don't worry, nobody's going to see it. Just write it down. This is just for you. 
uh, put the, close the envelope, seal it, nobody needs to see it. So everyone does it, everyone writes it down, and then they say, OK, pass it to the person next to you so they can have a read. And, of course, everybody goes, well, hold on, you said I didn't have to here. Well, I don't want to share that. That's deeply personal. And the point is, why should we expect rough sleepers, homeless people, people in our care, to give us and spill the beans on all of this information about childhood abuse and sexual abuse and physical harm if it, uh, at the first meeting that we've met them? So you must build up a relationship of trust uh, uh, with that support worker, and that can take time. And that can take 24 hours for some, it can take 24 years for, for others, and, and, and it can't be rushed. There is no value in me as a commissioner commissioning a, a, a service with an outcome expectation or a KPI that says you must change this person in a certain period of time. It's completely futile because people change at different rates and people develop at different rates. And their, their, um, uh, their understanding of what is positive progress is different to the next person's. So expectation levels have to be as individual as the plans to support them themselves. Um, and, and that's what's got to change in this sector more and more, I think. Trust. Care. Taking time. I don't know what it's like for you listening now, but as I listen to Robert, I found myself challenging assumptions and questioning a lot of my own opinions. At the end of our conversation, Robert said I should probably talk to someone who's working on the front line and who actually handed out the phones that we donated just last week. Here's Kath. You were there on the night uh, that the phones arrived, you said. You were doing a shift. So on Thursday night, um, we did a full coverage a shift um, of the whole of the borough, so checking every single street. And um, we... Uh, yes, I had 50 phones. Okay. And every person that we met who didn't have a mobile phone, because we didn't have any accommodation available on the night, because yeah. um, our accommodation was full that night, yeah. but we were able to give the mobile phone to that person, take down their phone number. Obviously, because that also had credit on it, it was brilliant. So we could give them our triage number. Right. But we also followed up with a phone call the next day. Mm-hmm to complete an assessment over the phone so that we could get them into COVID protect accommodation. Okay. The ph- what the phones also enable us to do. So we've changed, um, we've sort of adapted to this pandemic um, and we try to limit the amount of face-to-face contact that we have with people. Of course. For, for your good and for everybody else's. Well, mainly for their good, really. Um, yeah. I think many people think homeless people might have... COVID-19 but Mm. the likelihood is actually within the outreach uh, work we're probably more likely to um, be spreading it because we're seeing multiple people of course Um, and so whenever we're having any engagement with individuals we explain why we're socially distancing from them and it's for their protection okay and many homeless people have multiple health conditions that put them into the vulnerable category of course yeah so we need to make safeguard them by having that the phone we're able to do daily welfare checks on everybody we're also able to monitor whether anyone's displaying symptoms or not um and we have different types of accommodation so if people are developing symptoms they're moved to a symptomatic um accommodation okay so so you're literally able to connect with those people that you wouldn't have been able to connect with? Yeah. yeah. And by having the, the, the credit on the phones as well, mm. lets people have choice and control as well and mm. 
be able to connect with the outside world. And actually, when I was giving the phones out on Thursday mm. and people knew that there was um, money on it, they were two people went into tears because they were like, we can now contact our family. Um, and I think this pandemic, what it's really um, made everybody start to see is the importance of family mm. and communication mm. and people who maybe had been estranged from their families, either because they were too proud to say that things hadn't worked out in their lives and that they'd found themselves on the street sure. or because of their lifestyle actually are now seeing their communication with their families very important and they want to know how their families are. That's amazing. The lifeline that a telephone can to, can bring, but to people who don't have a telephone. Mm. And then and I suppose what probably no one would necessarily think about is there isn't anywhere to buy a telephone anymore. <laughs> the only way to get it would be to do it online. Yeah. So if you don't have access to doing things online, you can't buy one. Yeah. So even if you wanted to make contact with your family, yeah. actually, if you're on the street, there's nowhere for you to go and make contact. Yeah, yeah. And that's obviously why I'm you know, more than happy to speak to you because I don't think you realise how, uh, how 200 phones um, impact us greatly. But our next challenge is actually how we keep phones charged. I was going to ask, how do, you, how do you do that if you're on the streets? How do you keep your phone charged? Well, in lockdown, it's really hard. So what we're doing, so when you gave us, when we got the phones, we um, opened all the boxes, obviously set all the phones up and just, it looked like uh, the <laughs> mobile shop in our office because every plug socket we had to plug into... <laughs> Um, to give them more charge because phones normally come with a little bit of charge. Yeah, yeah. And the phones that you gave us, um, the, the battery actually lasts a few days. Okay. Because they're not, they don't have data or any of those things. Right. So actually, they're really useful for um, what we need them for. Yeah. Okay. But I think we're going to have to not start looking at power banks. Yeah. And because you used to be able to charge your phone at, at train stations. Um, like they have USB ports there. Yeah. They've now closed down all those benches where the USB ports, because yeah. they don't want people to loiter. To hang around. So it's making it incredibly difficult. I've always said as soon as the community realise the impact that they have when they give people £10, mm. like it's not fixing their housing issue. It's not fixing their trauma. Mm. It's just adding to it. Um, and we all have to be a bit cruel to be kind. And it's, yeah. you know, the warm, fuzzy feeling when you give someone a tenner isn't actually going to change their lives. Yeah. But by giving them the means to be able to actually exit the life that they're in, mm. which is why the phones are more powerful than any £10 cash that anyone could get. Yeah. But also giving people the dignity, like having the phone credit on there. It's so important for us that we're not saying you're worthless and we're just going to give you a, a, a burner phone or, cheap, you know, a, yeah. a, a, we're like, we want to make contact with you, but we also want you to be able to make choice and control mm. and make contact with who you want to make contact with. Mm. There's credit on here. Yeah. So you can do that. You're, you're giving them, you're giving them dignity. You're giving them. Um... Yeah. Yeah, you're being, you're treating them like an adult, aren't you? Yeah. 
if it, if I don't know what if you've got time, but I'll share with you um, a poem that a client wrote. Yeah. It's not about the pandemic, but it really sums up what street outreach do, does. And Please I think do. for people that don't necessarily know the work we do, because um, our guiding principle is that we don't give up. I told you I'd waffle. I waffle. It's fine. Uh, Kat, it's fine. <laughs> Great. What's the what's right, the so poem? Right, so I read you the poem. Okay, so it's sorry, it's got a swear words in it. Um, I should warn you here: the language coming up is colourful and certainly not for younger ears. So, if you have children listening, or if you're a bit sensitive to choice language, best to skip ahead, just for the next minute. Ah, those bloody mungos fuckers just woke me up again, and just as all the drunks had stopped passing by this den. Ah, those bloody mungos fuckers now want hired little me to answer all these questions so that they can assess me. Ah, those bloody mungos fuckers just offered me a room, but it's not for me and my boyfriend, so on the streets I'll have to spend. Ah, my bloody boyfriend just hurt me very much, so now there's only one left in this little hutch. Wow, these mungos people have been my saving grace when my lover and my partner spat right in my face wow these mungo's heroes have helped me once again when i was all alone and i felt like i didn't have a friend so thank you mungo's heroes i'll make you all so proud but mostly not to see me sleeping on the ground yeah And I think that's so. We are the Mungo's fuckers. We're the people that wake people up uh, in the middle of the night, and everyone is like, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. Like, and some people are like, "Are you my angel?" Some people are like, "You really are a fucker." Mm. But um, ultimately, the reason we're doing it is it, we might not be able to get people into accommodation that night, yeah. but we would always be there, and we will always go back, and we will never give up. Now, just before we leave, Kath, if you've any doubt lingering about the value of this particular donation. Have a listen to this. The mobiles are so important. So if, and I say to my staff, if you think to find somebody can take us up to an hour walking down the streets to find them, to phone, so we think of like my staff's hourly wage, looking for somebody, or by them having a mobile, we can make instant contact with them. We can help so many more people um, by having phones. So today we'll have 35 places available. If we then physically have to go and find the 35 people, that might take us three days. Of course, of course. By knowing that we've got their phone, we can get them all housed within two hours. Yeah. And that's the impact. That's the impact. Now, we're almost at the end of this Our Call to Care first podcast. If you've any feedback, let us know. We'd love to know what you think. And if you've heard any stories about human connection that you think we should know about, please get in touch with us. It's our call to care. And as Liz said at the beginning, we're here to help you share stories of helping people to connect. Talking of Liz, it was her idea in the first place to connect with Robert and Kath. Hello, Liz. But she never got to meet them. Hi, Carl. I just listened to it. Or even hear their voices. So we thought it was only right for her to be the first person to listen to what they said and what you've just heard. 
Okay, okay, how was that? And immediately after she'd done that... I can't believe it. We spoke on the phone. It's, um, yeah, it's insane, isn't it? I just, <laughs> I didn't, like, I just, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it before that at all. Like, it was, yeah, it's so much more complicated than I would have expected. Yeah what it means to be a rough sleeper and all the things that go behind it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, just the complexity of how people arrive there, the complexity of helping them, um, and then how all of that is just exacerbated in the current situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was far more, well, it was illuminating, but also just far more complicated and in- intricate than I had could ever have, could ever have thought. Really. Yeah, yeah. How does it feel to be helping people like that? <laughs> well, it feels great. Um, I mean, it, it felt good when we donated it before and when we get an email back and say, you know, how wonderful it is. But, you know, I don't think I certainly didn't truly understand the impact of it until hearing from them around really what it looks like. It, it seems such it's such a clear and binary decision for us when we're helping people okay you get a few lines on an email and people asking for help and you know we're all compassionate people and Mm. tesco mobile and tesco in general you know we all want to do what we can what we can right now to help and you know uh the fact we've got a process and a kind of a an agreement that we we can help people that ask it is great but it's it's yeah it's a few lines on an email it's say okay yeah that that seems like they need some help and yes we can help them so we should mm. but it's so much it's so much deeper than that and um yeah to to kind of to then hear just how impactful it is it it just it just puts it into perspective yeah it, it feels great it feels great um which i guess is, a, is an odd odd thing to say um when you when you should get some sort of pleasure out of of helping and some and kind of trying to alleviate someone else's suffering and pain um you know but it, it does it feels great that we can do that well yeah but then in a way is you know that's the great thing about having such a clear purpose isn't it it's because yeah because let's be really honest it's really easy for a big commercial company to throw some money or to throw some kit you know uh the way of a charity every now and again you know that's that's easy i think what's really interesting about this and let's see how it plays out but to have that core purpose that it's not just about you know we give we give lots of money or we give lots of things this is about a way of thinking a way of being i think it's unusual for a business to to open up to this kind of way of thinking yeah i think i think you're exactly right and you know it is it is born out of having a real clear purpose um and you know i'm i completely um agree and want to live our kind of caring for human connection mm. um and i think that's i think that enable us it enables us to do this kind of stuff yeah but it also it also puts it into a completely different light for me. So, yes, we do care for human connection because, um, you know, as a company, we have that heart that we want to make sure that people can connect. But then when you put it in the context of 
of rough sleeping and the work that that is happening in Westminster Council, it just it takes on a whole different meaning. Yeah. Like never in my kind of wildest imagination would I be thinking that the kind of output of our uh, purpose or the clarity on it would mean that somebody in in Westminster might then be able to connect with their family after mm-hmm. years on the street like yeah. it just it would never occur to me that it would have that it would have enabled something that far down the line yeah um but it but it does like we didn't we didn't we didn't need to set all of that out at the start we didn't need to think about what that purpose could eventually mean but by having it and having that clarity as a business and, and us all living it and believing in it it mm. can have that sort of impact and effect and it's it's yeah it's just amazing to see you know in general you know, outside of coronavirus and other things actually I get a lot of um, pleasure from my job I find it interesting mm. and I I then put it in context of what what Robert and Kath are doing and how difficult their jobs must be generally yeah. like how much they must deal with yeah. on a day-by-day basis yeah, just that, that's far it's far greater than anything that we could deal with mm. anytime and um and then you you then add on top this kind of global pandemic and just think how much more difficult their jobs would become yeah. and yet and yet they can still um you know really see the good and really want to continue to help um and i just i just think that's um that's incredibly powerful Thanks, Liz. Well, listen, I could talk to you for a long time. You're clearly a really brilliant and um, passionate person about all this. Um, But I won't take up any more of your time. I will be disciplined. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, I don't work for Tesco Mobile, but I'm like a friend of the family. And so on their behalf, thanks for doing all the brilliant work that you're doing and that all of your team are doing. No problem. And, and it's worth me saying as well that we got. We must say thank you for the donation that we received. Uh, it, it's it's hugely valuable in a way that perhaps normally people wouldn't quite realise. We we have to be able to communicate with rough sleepers on the street and with people in hotels, and we have to try and do that as least face to face as possible. And so mobile phones are, are so useful. We spent weeks scrabbling around trying to buy and procure and find and beg, borrow and steal. Uh, and then you guys came along and, and, and offered us 200 mobile phones, which has been so useful. So useful, in fact, that they've all been used up very, very swiftly. Have they really? So I may okay. come back in again soon. But uh, it's, uh, yeah. it, uh, it's, it's, it's just been so invaluable. In, in a time of, of, of coronavirus that we're completely unprecedented, nobody knows what to do, and we're all guessing from each other and blind leading the blind, that we are seeing that uh, uh, small things like the ability to communicate in this way is... is is so much more valuable than it has been in the past. So, yeah, a huge thank you to, to, to Tesco Mobile for, for offering those up. It's, it's been massive. Thank you so much, not just for talking to me today, but for all the incredible work you're doing. Power to your elbow. And I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Stay safe. Okay, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening.